Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Are you tired of doing the same workouts day in, day out? Well, check out the Peloton app. Wherever you are, whatever your mood, the Peloton app has something for you. Lunch hour power walk, park Pilates, beach yoga. The Peloton app has it all. Try it today. Download the Peloton app and get your first 30 days free. New paid memberships only, starting at $12.99 a month after trial unless canceled. Terms apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Welcome back to Fresh Wounds, your... God damn it. What did you think was going to happen, Terry? I know, I know. You set us up for failure. Uh, I sure did. <laughs> Welcome back to Fresh Wounds, your monthly Patreon-only episode where we dig into a movie that I guess traumatized... I don't even know. Just traumatized us? Yeah, is that, like is deeply that affected touched okay in a traumatic way yeah. that's a terrible way to phrase that <laughs> it's out there though i'm mary beth <laughs> who am i who am i oh, um, i'm terry yeah um, i'm mary beth in this episode i'm very excited for many reasons but we are covering one of my all-time favorite movies and one that terry has revisited um from not liking it is lake mungo joel anderson's 2008 australian pseudo documentary that is one of the best horror movies of the two thousand, like the like our current century, in my humble opinion. It's okay. I am. It's true. It's not like I've written thousands so we... of worries about this fucking movie. It's all I think about, and that. That thousands of words is somewhere back here on the shelf. One of these. Yeah, I wrote a really cool it. essay for the Second Sight Cinema or Second Sight uh, 
Blu-ray release, I wrote an essay for the booklet. So this movie is very, very special to me. And I'm very excited to talk about it with you because you didn't like it the first time you saw it, which made me sad, but I respect it. But you wanted to revisit it for for this episode. And I'm very excited to hear about your experience the second time around in perhaps a better headspace for the movie yeah so we you know we, we just recently had talked with uh kyle edward ball the director of skinner inc the writer and director of skinner inc and um he had brought up this movie on the podcast and i made a a comment that i thought it was kind of boring the first time i watched it and honestly <laughs> and then i had tony tony kaufman reach out to me through a dm saying that we're no longer friends goodbye <laughs> And I feel like that's the same vibes that were coming off of my co-host at that time. <laughs> but here, okay, so here's the thing. When I remember that whole series of films that were coming out, the After yes, Dark films. Yes, the best. Fucking loved those movies at Blockbuster slash on, like, on demand on, like, old Verizon, like, and Comcast cable boxes. Like, I knew that shit was going to be, like, either really good or really bad with that, like, whole border around it. Well, and and that's what kept me away uh-huh. from it was that there was like these eight films that films are to die um, for. eight film eight more films to die for or something like that, and the art around it was always very like suggestive, like it was like naked women bodies with like some kind of monster holding on to it or something. It just never seemed very interesting to me, and I know back in what was it twenty ten was the one that had Lake Mungo. But it was also surrounded with movies like Zombies of Mass Destruction. Granted, I've never seen any of these, so I don't know. Maybe they are good. But like a bunch of movies that just seemed not the greatest <laughs> in terms of like the, the title. And so that was going for me originally, and that's why I didn't initially see it. I also kept getting that one confused with Lake Eden. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. And they're both... Oh, in terms Australian. of the title? Or is like Eden Australian? I don't think it is. I think I'm thinking of another crocodile movie. Okay, never UK. mind. Thinking of another giant crocodile movie in... Uh... Wait, Eden Lake is a crocodile no, movie? No, never mind. Eden, not Eden Lake. Like... Eden Lake. I was thinking, I said Lake Eden. Or I we were just all I lost over the, the place. thread. I said Lake Eden. It is Eden Lake. <laughs> but I would get, I got those two confused. All the time um and i think like eden lake is um, fucked up (laughs) yeah that's what i've i've heard um but i have not seen either of those and so i got those confused and then i kept over time i kept hearing how lake mungo is the scariest film ever so terrifying so scary and so i i seeked it out and i didn't know really anything about it other than it was the scariest movie ever and so i sat down to watch it and i was i was kind of bored okay but it was because I was expecting one thing and got something completely So I get different. that for sure. I think like a lot of people have had that kind of similar feedback with it where it was like, I thought this was going to be some kind of cheese, like kind of a cheesier, grosser indie horror release. That was like, you know, after Dark, they put out like Frontiers, um, which is a new Frederick Charmady movie. So like, right. some of their films were pretty good, but a lot of them were as, as someone who like watched a decent amount of them, I think. Um, all, like when I was younger, like in middle school and high school, like they were, they were like mid, um, 
kind of movies. And so I actually saw Lake Mungo because I was, so I was babysitting. Um, I like have the most fucking like weirdly detailed memory of the first time watching this movie. If you want to hear, if we want to jump into that now. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Oh, this is so fucking weird. So I was babysitting my mom's high school best friend's kids. And this was when they were all babies. And I remember exactly where their house was. It was right near my dad's old apartment that he had with his second wife and next to like a rib restaurant that my mom used to work at. Like very weirdly specific memory. Um, Yeah. Very specific. But I remember like putting these kids to sleep and they were impossible to get to sleep. But they lived like where they lived wasn't super like isolated at all, but it was very quiet and they had an old house and it was very creaky. And, of course, as a babysitter, Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I'm going to watch a horror movie on demand, because why not? Like, go through all the free shit. And I knew where all the free horror movies were, like, all the hidden in, like, the crazy VOD menus that we used to have. Like, do you remember that time? Like, like, weird that that was the way that, like, you had the on-demand button, and then you would look through everything that was available on the channels you subscribe for. Like, whatever. But I knew where all the free horror, like Fearnet and all that stuff, like I knew where all that stuff was. And this mm. was in one of those categories that I can't remember. But I was watching a couple of these After Dark ones because I was curious. And I clicked this one and I was like, oh, okay, it's like a ghost movie. Cool. And I watched it and was just like shocked. And I legitimately thought it was real for like a hot minute. Like I I thought it was oh, the real. okay. Because, so the way this movie is filmed, it's a pseudo-documentary, like I said, which is basically a mockumentary, but with horror, um, and basically it, it mimics, like, a true crime show after-school special that you would see on TV. But it's it's all fictional, but it presents itself as true, which is a huge reason why, like, a lot of things I focus on with this movie. But I was convinced, because I had never really, I had never, this was before I had seen, like, I, I think I had seen the Blair Witch Project project at that point but i hadn't seen a movie that was like presenting itself as fact not like a best in show that's obviously a joke but like a a horror movie that is presenting itself as like an illusion of truth and it fucked with my head and it has been my favorite movie like one of my favorites since like high school i have loved this movie and it has always been like a very specifically wild cinematic experience i had like in the dark babysitting at my mom's best friend's creaky old house when her kids were very small and just like getting the absolute like shit rocked out of me because it was also the first time i think i'd experienced a movie that made me so sad and also so scared this was a a new experience in terms of like especially because i'd already been watching horror for a bit but hadn't really experienced the kind of like deeply sad horror um, this was also, I think, my first time okay. experiencing that kind of emotion with a horror movie, like, so deeply. And I think that's also why it had such an impact. Because as we have all heard on this podcast a million times, I love being sad and scared at the same time. So I, this movie is kind of, I think, like, one of the reasons why I like that. So, yeah. Okay. So I, two thoughts came in my mind, my head, while we're while you're talking. And the first one is that this is basically, like... Yeah. You're Blair Witch for me. Because for me with Blair Witch, when I went mm-hmm. to go see it, I thought it was real initially. And so there's that aspect to it. And that was a, a rocking experience back with, with Blair Witch for me because I was like, I was not, I had, like you, I had never experienced something that was like yeah. that, that was being presented. 
initially yeah. at least is real so there's that and then the other thought that i had was this is also like the orphanage to me where the orphanage and pan's labyrinth opened up the idea that move that horror movies could be could give a different emotion rather than fear or revulsion or something to that nature it could also make you immensely sad and it could be about things other than just trying to scare the shit out of you and so i think it makes sense to me that this movie if this is in particular, if this is your your like first time experiencing that kind of stuff in horror, that that would be incredibly affecting, particularly as a yeah, teenager. Yeah, 100%. I think, I'm, now that I'm thinking about it, I was like almost out of high, I was almost out of high school, but I was still in high school. I was just thinking about the days, like what that line okay. was. But it, it's right. exactly, I mean, that is exactly it. And it was even weirder too, because with like Mungo, like no one it was like, I fucking found it on demand. Like this was not, and this was like, obviously right. the internet was a thing, but I hadn't found like the niche really. Like I like kind of lurked on bloody right. disgusting message boards, but was too scared to ever talk. Remember message boards? Um, but, um, <laughs> um, I do. but yeah, like it was something that also felt cursed to me because I didn't really, I couldn't mm. talk to anyone about it. And it was something that I was like, wait, the f- is this real? Is this for fucking real? And like, I think, I can't remember exactly the order of operations. Like, I, it is it, again, I could have, I Googled, I could have Googled it like when I got home or something, but I think I didn't have a smartphone yet. So like, I couldn't look it up. So I was like, this is definitely real. And I think I kind of wanted to believe it was real too. I, I think part of me was like, very easily swayed. I'm. I, we all know I'm easily swayed into believing into shit. I love. I'm, I love just like believing it. Like so, you know, <laughs> me being like, it's sick. It's real. And then obviously I found out it wasn't. But I think it felt again cursed. Like I had watched. I found something weird hidden in the on-demand menus of my FIO of my mom's friend's FIOS cable box. Like something really weird. And that was what it felt like. Like I found something fucked up. And yeah. I know it's not, like, in the grand scheme of things, like, fucked up, but it felt so real. And, like, I was, like, felt like I was in this family's life. It was like, ugh, this is really strange. So when you watched it the first time and you were you were babysitting, how did, what did it, did it affect you at all the rest oh, of the Oh, yeah, night? like, like creaks and shit. I was like, mm-mm. All, I turned yeah. lights on, I'm pretty sure. I was already pretty jumpy as a babysitter <laughs> because I had watched so many horror movies. So, like... I was already kind of, like, new, but their house was, like, old, like, old, old home that, like, definitely could be haunted, maybe, kind of situation. Like, it was right. old and kind of rickety and dark, and so, yeah. And the street was dark, too, even though it was, like, not in, like, a super, again, isolated area. I just, like, I was just, like, sitting up straight the rest of the night, just, like... <laughs> kind of situation so what what about this movie over everything else keeps bringing you back to it i'm curious so i think one of the biggest things is every time i watch it i get something new out of it like this time i really kind mm. of focused on motherhood and depictions of motherhood which i hadn't really thought about before um but i also okay. think what it, it's one of the smartest it's one of the smartest horror movies and I think also one of, but more specifically one of the smartest like found footage movies out there and how it layers different kinds of evidence because and I say like it's one of the most successful in fooling you I think like obviously you know it's fake but I think it does a really good yeah. job of doing things to fool you in a way that we hadn't really seen before this so like 
movies like The Last Broadcast, which was a 1998 found footage movie about the Jersey Devil, is kind of presented like this a little bit in terms of like, you have evidence you're presenting before another narrative. But I think what this, what like Mungo does so well is it takes like, okay, we have footage someone else captured, footage another person captured. We can like cross-examine evidence. We have news, like news um, reports. We have all of these eyewitnesses. We have a psychic's documentation. Like there's so many, like what I call layers of media going into it that like, Found footage is usually one camera and there isn't a lot other evidence, but this right. one, it's like build, it's building a case and it's such a convincing right. case that even though you know, it's not real, it fucking really looks like reality really well. And I think a lot of found footage movies, especially in this time period, were all about like Cloverfield and paranormal activity, like very much like one camera, like very kind of objective, sub, like an objective perspective, while under subjective perspective, while Lake Mungo feels more objective, if that makes sense. Um, okay. Because it's being presented it with so many different kinds of footage, it's not just a singular perspective or like an, an yeah, a singular camera's perspective, but rather like an amalgamation of evidence. And it's just so smart in how it does that and so smart in how it does the bait and switch which we'll talk about and also really smart in how it subverts expectations of oh this is just a sob story after school special and then you're like shit she saw her own ghost like that kind of thing i you got me on my shit like this movie is so cool and i'm like it's just i wish joel anderson like existed anymore he kind of just like fell off the face of the earth after this movie and never made another movie he Ooh. did see the release of the second site release though and was happy with it but he like definitely like just kind of vanished off the face of the earth that's a shame because this movie okay re-watching it now i think this movie is really good and i and i think what and what you were kind of talking about this a little bit but what i think I think the reason why I appreciated it a whole lot more is, is that since this came out, I've seen a lot more true crime stuff. And the format this movie uses, so many things that have come out since then have used the same exact format. You're talking about how it kind of layers in different evidence, how it's building its case. Well, that's what a lot of true crime things do. It wants to like provide all this 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 data. It comes with... Like if this were a series, it would all it would every single episode would end with like a cliffhanger of like, oh, the kid is doing it or oh, this is happening or oh, this is happening. Like it is it has all of these little cliffhanger moments that will try to pull you into the next sort of evidence that it's laying out for you. And having seen a lot more true crime stuff since this movie, it feels like and I don't know if this was like if this is just the standard true crime like narrative format that things before this happened like that. But for me, this reminds me of like the kind of starting point for what we're seeing today in terms of like the true crime, crime docuseries or documentaries, the stare, the, you know, the jinx, the, all of these kind of things that are about crime that wants to present things in a very cinematic fashion. This movie was doing back mm -hmm. in what, 2008, yep. it seems like. And so Watching it now, and so I also want to go back on the point you said about you get something new every time you watch it. I saw this that one time. I remember very little about it other than I was, I remember, I remember a couple scenes of like 
well, it's ultimately the the sun walking mm-hmm. across the uh, the camera footage. I remember some of those camera moments, but like I didn't remember a whole lot more about this this film. And so watching it now, I was found myself more involved in the the structure of it to a point that I was like, this is really smart. <laughs> I'm so glad you feel that way. I'm so glad. And again, like, okay, I always I, I joked about being mad at you. I obviously understand this movie oh, yeah. is very quiet. It's slow. It's quiet and slow. I, but mm-hmm. I love that shit. And I understand that it is kind of like, this is another movie where you watch it and you're either like really into it emotionally and you're like, what? Or you're like, this is not for me. And I get that. But I'm glad that you rewatched it and liked it. That makes me very happy. Yeah, me too. Uh, and like I said, I honestly think that it's because I, since then I've seen a lot of content, movies, docu-series whatever that follows the same format and i was like oh this makes sense this is smart this is a lot smarter than younger me would have given it credit for well yeah it is really smart and like i mean i mean how do we want to start tackling like how do we like want to start diving into this movie because i think i guess now we should just like get into the meat of it and we can talk and talk more about some of the stuff that i really love um yeah yeah, so I mean, right off the top, it opens up with you know um, quotes about from Alice talking about how something bad has happened. It hasn't reached me yet, but it's on its way and it's getting closer. And we have that kind of ominous opening mixed with um, talking about people making up stories about ghosts or whatever to make themselves feel better. And that line right there, I think, is so intrinsic to what this movie is kind of about in terms of both the family trying to cope with the loss of someone and thinking there's a ghost there, that there's something there to being, and we'll dig into this a lot more as the kind of the complications arise or the, the facts get kind of muffled, but it ultimately goes back to this, this idea of wanting to believe in ghosts to help make you feel better about passing on. But then as we get to the end, realizing that maybe that's not what's happening, but it is happening yeah. in some way. I don't want yeah, to get to that in a way, but it does. I it, love this. It opening. sets expectations. I think for you to kind of be like, okay, so I know where this is going. And then it's like, actually, <laughs> no, you don't like at all. Yes. Yeah, so we, so then you kind of like get the background about like, what is like who these people are and who this family is. Um, so the Palmer family, they live in Australia and they are kind of, they're talking about their family and Alice, um, the sister, there's the mother, father, and then Matt, who is the son, who was the younger brother to Alice, who has passed away. And they're kind of talking about her as a person. And we're kind of starting to get maybe like a little bit of an idea about who, who Alice is slash who they think Alice is, which I think is very important here about we start off hearing about Alice as one character and we kind of learn more about her as the film progresses. And right away we have like a mix of different uh, techniques going on here. Cause we have like footage, we have interview footage of the family. We have video from that's recorded the day of the, the accident. We have um, silent footage of the family while the sort of police operator is on the line where uh, June is calling in about um, her daughter Alice. So we have like all of these different 
layers of of media that is is telling the story as opposed to just a talking head or opposed to like just seeing one type of footage we're getting a lot of mix of, of media well, and in it this feels like again area. like the opening like like sequence before a true crime documentary you know like giving you kind of like flashes mm-hmm, of what's exactly. to come and again like using that format that we're so familiar with of getting kind of like the taste of what's happening and like all of the things we're going to see and like getting us ready for the format and getting us kind of primed for what is going to come next again like it's setting up the expectation like it's setting you up to be like okay this is this one thing and i think it does a really really smart job of this and again like mimicking what we would watch in any kind of like 60 minutes like, especially this era, like, true crime show, any kind of, like, talk show, even, like, a ghost hunting show that you would see on, like, a sci-fi channel, travel channel, like, the kind of setting up the story of what is to come. And it feels almost, it feels like a little bit melodramatic, I think, too. And I think that melodrama yeah, that feeds on that in a really interesting way. Um, But, yeah. Yeah, and I remember when I when I watched it both the original time because I had this memory after I saw this because I had the same thought as I was rewatching this now and again on rewatch because it's been a few years. I was like, I don't remember what's going to happen. I don't think she's dead, and that was my initial thought. And then we immediately get like the the movie just gets rid of any of that kind of thought by saying that you know the divers find her body out in the the dam almost immediately. And so we have, like, this body. We're given shots of it, which are horrifying. Like, that to me is so hor- Like, that is one of the... Gr- like, I think, again, like, this sets up, like, we're not afraid to show the grizzly aside. This is a teenage girl, and we see her waterlogged body, because what happened is she dis- They went on vacation. They were swim. Her, she and her brother were swimming, and she... They, she drowned. They couldn't find her. There's this huge search for her body, and they finally find her body, and bodies that have been in body like a body that has been in a body of water for a long period of time is not going to be a very pretty one and they show the full face like we it's 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 terrifying like that is a very like haunting image and it's presented like a crime scene photo it's not it's not like a beautiful dead female body but it's like a dead fucking female body which i do appreciate they don't try to do like the whole like Ah, hot dead girl kind of shit that a lot of horror movies like to lean into. Mm-hmm. But um, we get this image of like, and I think, and this is addressed a little bit later um, when ghostly things start to arise, but giving you very much visual proof that this is, this girl is dead. Like she is not missing. She has not disappeared. She is right. very much sub. sub- objectively why am i having a hard time with that today objectively dead which is important to think about right. to remember <laughs> she's dead yeah. yeah it really is well and we also get kind of the first a bit of subjectivity in this where june didn't want to remember her daughter in the way of um a bloated rotting corpse that's been underwater and so she does not go look at the body but her husband does. Yep. And that becomes kind of like a point of contention a little bit later on. I I love the little details that this adds to because the, there's this little moment where the car gets stalled on the way back. And the only gear they could get it into was reverse. And so they drove all the way to town with reverse. It's such a small little moment that 
has nothing to do with the plot, but it kind of sets the the feel that this is a real thing, that this is something that would happen to you. That like, of course, my car on the worst day of my life is going to stall and I'm going to have to drive it in reverse all the way back to town. Like it's such a small little throwaway detail, but it adds to kind of this collage of painting this this very realistic picture of a family dealing well, and with and that's something trauma. that I love about this movie is that it's really it's not just about the events like the like it's not just about the traumatic event and it's not just about the ghost or like whatever whatever's going on it's about the process of grief and that the grieving process is incredibly different for up from different people and grief is such a ridiculously weird subjective yes and got it in one experience that and I think that especially in these opening like first 20 minutes we really do like they really tell us exactly what's happening the dad just goes right back to work and is like I just can't folk I, I can't like be thinking about this I need to pour myself back into work like one of his colleagues is even like yeah he like <laughs> he just went right back to work the mom can't sleep because she's having horrendous nightmares. So she's going on walks and she's going into people's houses as a reprieve from her own life, which is the fucking saddest thing I've ever heard and ever will hear in a movie. And they don't talk about it a ton, but it's so, I think it's a huge part of how I think this movie deals with motherhood and like, and I will talk about that a little bit later, but like it was with how this mother who is related to revealed to be a little bit with emotionally withholding from her daughter is grappling with that emotional withholding that she, and like her, what she might view as her inability to love um, her daughter. I think Mm. that paired with hearing about her nightmares and how she's like walking into other people's houses to just escape her own fucked up reality. And then we then find out it's fucking heartbreaking. heartbreaking. Like these people are so sad and these are just normal people. Like he, they're just, I don't know, everyday humans. They're not, they're not like an everyday person. Exactly, everyday they're just like your typical middle class, like white family. And this horrible tragedy happens, and they all are trying to make sense of it. And so, and then we then we find out the brother Matt has captured these images of what is potentially Alice. Images of Alice. He has been to, he's been taking to photography. He's been a photographer. He's like he's kind of he's always taken video and stuff. But he starts taking photos of one specific composition in their backyard. And one day he takes a picture, and it looks like Alice is in the back of the picture. And yeah, yeah. One one thing I wanted to mention. Um, there was there's a line that June says earlier on that I just I think it's such a I don't know. I think it's such a neat line. It's death takes everyone. It's the meanest, dumbest machine. It just doesn't care. And that, that line, it's the meanest, dumbest machine is such a, I don't know. It's such a, it's such a good line. It's just, it's good. It's, it's like, good and it's like, it's not delivered in some like epic monologue. It's just given in this interview with her, Mm-mm. just kind of her recalling her own experiences. And it's just said so almost matter of factly that you're like, Jesus Christ. And yeah. when Matthew captures these photos, they there's even a moment where they were like, oh, there was, I think, I can't remember, I can't remember which parent, which one of them said it, but they're like the person interviewing goes, so did things change when you saw this, these photos? And they were like, oh yeah. Like we kind of felt better in a weird way. And it, like, 
it's a little more complicated than that, but they talk about how, like, wait, fuck, like, is this proof that she's alive? To the point where <laughs> they, um, so this is the point where they also talk about, like, the, the, the father says, I saw Alice's dead body, but June didn't because she didn't want to. And so June was convinced that Alice wasn't dead after seeing these images and the father starts believing he wasn't correct. And it leads to an entire like exhuming her body in DNA testing, like re literally unearthing their trauma again to make sure that this was in fact their daughter in the ground. And they had hope. Like this was all done out of thinking that there was hope that their daughter was still alive. And I think something that this movie does really well in a fucked up way is like, gives these kinds of illusions of hope a little bit. And then it's like, just kidding. There's no such thing as hope. (laughs) (laughs) And it does it a few times. And this is one of the first times where it's like, like, could it have been some crazy fucked up thing? Like a bureaucratic issue. And it's like, "Mm, nope, sorry. Like, just kidding. It's not. (laughs) DNA samples. Everything says that that is, that is their child. And that's, (sighs) Yes, when you were saying kind of like adding hope to it, there is definitely a lot of things where this family is desperate to believe in anything. They're be- they were desperate to believe that their daughter could potentially still be alive. And so that moment that it's built up and you're in your head, oh my gosh, the body is not going to be her. It's going to be someone else. They just didn't really notice it. There's a potential for her to be alive. No, the movie's no. like, nope, well, that's like- she did. That is really your, what, that is like, really it gives, your daughter. It, it's like gives you again the hope for like two seconds that it's like just kidding. We're not gonna let you like we're not gonna let right. you sit in that for too long. Like don't worry. Like, and I think that again subverts expectations of what things you see in true crime where it's like we're going to draw it out forever before you get an answer. And this one's like nah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And even before we get to that, there's I mean, you you kind of mentioned it with. Um, Frederick, the the coworker with um, yeah. the the husband. Why can't I think of what his David? name is? Yeah, uh, <laughs> Russell. Russell. That's... David is the actor. Russell. <laughs> so yeah, so Frederick, who works with Russell, like talking about, um, you know, that he's sort of a little bit withdrawn. That that you know he's working hard and that kind of stuff. We get Russell explaining the dream that he was having, where he was found himself sitting in in the chair in front of the dresser in in Alice's room. And he sees Alice walking in, going over to the desk, checking a text on the text on the phone, oblivious to his, to his presence. And when he says something, she becomes completely rigid. And I knew she knew that I was there. And then we have June saying that that she could hear Russell crying, and then we have Frederick saying, "Yeah, I believe he saw something, whether it was a ghost or not. I don't, I don't know, but I'm sure he saw something." So we have that. We have like Matthew's friend who spent a lot of the nights um, at their house, and he's saying, "Yeah, Matthew is a little quiet, but he was always quiet. He doesn't want to talk about his mom walking in other people's houses." So we have like all of these things that are sta- establishing this sort of tension and trauma in the family and even and then late a little bit later matthew has all these bruises on his body and so we have we have like all these weird things happening noises in the house and we're, we're led to believe you know the house is either haunted or maybe maybe you know uh 
she's still alive. And then we have the unveiling of the body again that just sort of cuts well, any like of that we kind also of have There's like the images that uh, Bob Smeet, uh, like, pers- like seems to have captured, like to kind of corroborate that there was somebody mm. at the day at in that location that looked like Alice. And so like, again, having there's mm-hmm. these two pieces of evidence from two very different places that were like, oh, shit, like this must be this can't be real that she's dead. And so like with those two pieces of evidence, they do the like the exhume it. And they realize, okay, well, uh, that's a big fucking bummer right there. So what, what's happening? Like, what, what is the next kind of like maybe logical assumption here about what is going on? And yeah. I mean, I love this moment because it goes back to what you said um, before we started digging into the, the plot where it is laying out all these different pieces of evidence. And in a lot of true crime stories, it will provide you evidence, but it wants you at this point in particular to be invested in it. And you're coming up with your own ideas about what happened, your own thoughts on, on what's going on. And so it's almost as if it's starting to anticipate questions that you're going to ask. Like, is she dead? Yes. Are there, is there something weird going on? Well, here's this evidence of the husband seeing something. Matthew has weird bruises on his body. Mom's having nightmares. Like we're presenting this stuff to you, whether it's, factual or not is up to you but we're presenting it in this initial salvo of like trying to get yeah, you hooked exactly. on the story and i also think we talked uh, we're talking about layers we talked we're talking about <laughs> we've been talking about layers of media but i think something that i, I think uh, even more lends to authenticity here especially after the dad is like i wanted it to be another person's kid like i wanted it to be someone else dead and mm-hmm. not my daughter like another like a murder victim, a runaway, and after he says this, they put up pictures of Alice as a kid, as a baby, like baby pictures, like obviously of the actor, but like there's baby pictures. Then there's home movies that they've obviously shot home movies with the actors as a family to use as like again like supplemental material in the documentary that's being made. So there's the home videos of Alice still alive, like with her brother and with her dad, like playing with. I think like squirt guns or her dancing in front of the camera. So again, like it feels real. Like we've never really seen like, Oh, fabricated home movies that are then layered over top of something about like a fictional person who has died. Like they just, again, are pushing the envelope in terms of how they are replicating reality and what we expect that it's like, they went that, that they went the fucking distance. It's not just like, photos or like shots of the desert it's legitimate like home movies and look like home movies mm-hmm. yeah and there's no, no like wink to the camera there's no moment of like sort of like letting you in on the the joke or this the kind of gag not that this is a joke or a gag but kind of letting you in on on the inside of it that to realize that it's it's fake it plays it very yeah. dead serious and i have to commend the actors they're very good at at presenting a very normal a normal family dealing with the extraordinary exactly well and then this is when they start kind of thinking ghost and they start talking about like (laughs) right you know very ghost things that like noises around the house you hear it was like you know knocks on the Mm -hmm. ceiling footsteps in the hallway and then matthew explains i set up a camera and what he does is like what we see a little bit in <clears throat> excuse me like what similar to what we see in paranormal activity with the static cam 
And something, again, that we didn't really see for a while, and I think, like, Mungo deserves just as much credit for, like, kind of putting together the idea of a static camera to capture, like, horror imagery, because he sets up a camera in the hallway and captures something walking past the camera. And so, basically, he's capturing paranormal activity on this camera to prove that as evidence that there's something in the house. And it's super dark. I absolutely love in this movie when they zoom in on like dark grainy footage and I'm like guys this is I this isn't helping shit. I'm so sorry. Like the my one Right. It, my it one, does make my me laugh one a little bit. complain about this movie is when they zoom in on that stuff. I'm like guys, it just it doesn't help me to understand what you're trying to show me. Like that no. is not doing it for me. <laughs> and like, there's like a, a couple of shots like i i think it was like smeet the smeet footage where they're like they're they're zooming in on on this figure in the background and i'm like this is a smudge like, this is there's later how are you you could see anything like later you wanted like, yeah there. there's a reflection in the vase and i'm like i was never ever gonna clock that like that is the one moment where i'm like no. you're taking me out of it a little bit because i see absolutely nothing so like it's funny when they do like the slow pan in. I'm like, you're just, it's just a shadow. But regardless, they seem to have captured something. And this is when they, they bring in our boy, our psychic boy, who I love very much. Um, Ray, who. Oh, he <laughs> creeps me out. I think because I watched this movie a million times, I like kind of got a little bit like more empathetic to him. But he is a, he's a weird figure. He feels like a grifter. He like is a guy who does radio shows and does like psychic readings, psychic readings for people. And he was contacted by Matt. Whoa. Did I just forget Matthew or June? Shit. Hold on. Which one can, which one contacted him? Ah, shit ass. Um, he, whatever he was contacted by, I literally have it next to me, like trying to find who contacted him because now I really want to know. I don't, I didn't write down. Basically, Ray is brought into their lives. He is contacted by a member of the family, and he is kind of, like, brought in to help them. And he's a personality because he's on the radio. Like, he's not just, like, some random dude. He seems to be, like, a personality who, like, know, who's known in Australia. It's not, like, a random, like, psychic off the side of the road. He's a expert. It reminded me, his, like, his segment on the radio kind of reminded me of, did you, I don't know if you ever listened to it. I don't know if anyone ever has now, but oh, yeah. Coast oh, to Coast Oh, AM I know what Coast to Coast AM is. With oh, Art Bell. hell yeah. When Art Bell was yeah. doing it from, like, in the 80s up to, like, 2003. That's what it reminded me of. This, like, kind of paranormal kind of talk show type talk radio aspect that's what his character kind of reminded me of it also it also made me laugh that he had changed his name from zoltz because he wanted to be more trustworthy of a name for a psychic and i was like you are such a grifter i know i know <laughs> that's my no, he's in, initial like, he thought it is june is the one that approaches him so june June is the one that reaches out for a consultation and he kind of like hypnotizes her slash he like guides her through her nightmares and tries to get her to kind of confront what's going on. And she, there's this like long sequence where it's one of the most important, very important sequences where the mom is watching the, like feels like she's watching her daughter. And, um, it's again, it's like kind of like a lot, it details her nightmares, her walking through the house 
again, it kind of keep that in mind. And then June is like, hey, Ray, come on over. And like, kind of typical <laughs> in the ways we've seen in horror movies before of like the wife kind of getting like, yeah, wife getting kind of even like hereditary, the wife getting kind of sold mm-hmm. a story from a psychic who is like trying to help her deal with her grief. He And then she brings him into the house. Husband is like, the fuck? Um, yeah. Always disbelieving. And then Matthew was really into it. And so the, so they were like, let's have a seance. Um, and it's like, as you do. As you do. So this is when it starts feeling like a ghost, like a ghost show, like a ghost hunter show a little bit. Like, it's not like EVPs and shit, but they're doing, you know, they have a psychic, they have a seance and we have this whole sequence. And of course, Matthew's like, let's film the seance. Um, gotta film it because once again we gotta love a kid someone who's like why do you keep filming and it's because Matthew's just like a little nerd and you know what good for him but we get this seance scene like the seance sequence and it's again like filmed evidence and they're like oh yeah like and it's not the normal seance there isn't like shaking shit there isn't like thing blood falling out of the ceiling and tables and stuff like a failure they call it a failure they think it's a, a failure they say after an hour they called it quits and i was like okay so this is doing a really good job of keeping it grounded in the real world because if this were a lesser film it would have been like an over-the-top seance moment but no it's like nothing happened we failed yeah exactly and then but then in reviewing the in reviewing the footage we have this moment again where it's like I t- zooming in like in the goddamn back corner and this one's a little bit a little bit more legible but it's like oh shit alice uh-huh. is in the back back corner of this shot like lurking so and it doesn't look like the hallway footage that they saw before so the hallway footage that they first shot was just like it's like a shadow person like going past this one you can see not see her face but you can see a little there's like more detail because it's a static figure facing the camera so they're like, sick, nasty, there's a ghost in here. And, so, <laughs> you know, my very um, uh, professional assessment here, but there's, you know, there's... The, <laughs> sick, nasty, there's a but ghost. The evidence, the evidence <laughs> seems to be building towards paranormal. <laughs> and Ray is like, I haven't seen right. a ghost. Like, he uses, I haven't seen a ghost. Like, I don't know what's going on here. Hysterical, of course, that this man has never seen a ghost. And they're basically like, there is, like, this is something weird is happening. Our our daughter, my sister, is contacting me. And so they start putting up more cameras. Matthew and Ray start doing all this stuff to maybe capture some evidence. 24-hour surveillance. Again, going full ghost hunter situation. Full paranormal activity. We're just seeing like images of this and it's like getting narrated over. We're not getting like bogged down into it and getting like kind of like the drama of it all. It's more just like kind of matter of factly Mm -hmm. stating the events. We don't, we're not, it's not a found footage movie where we're watching them put it all together. We're just getting, or like we're getting a retelling of what happened, which I think is really interesting. Again, that kind of takes it away from. Are you tired of doing the same workouts day in, day out? Well, check out the Peloton app. Wherever you are, whatever your mood, the Peloton app has something for you. Lunch hour power walk, park Pilates, beach yoga, 
The Peloton app has it all. Try it today. Download the Peloton app and get your first 30 days free. New paid memberships only starting at $12.99 a month after trial unless canceled. Terms apply. Feeling. It gives it ground. Again, it's grounded. It's not trying to like dramatize or exaggerate the process. It was more just like presenting it. And then I think they call Ray at one point a Rasputin figure. Like when the, when the cops find out and the family finds out. Yes, Sergeant Druin is like, so skeptical. A, they are like, he's a grifter. Oh, They're oh, like, Ray. he's taking advantage of this grieving uh-huh. family. Like, why is he always there? Like, what the fuck is going on? He's at the birthday parties of Matthew and stuff. And he, people, and again, like, they do present him like this. There are just like, there's a weird fucking... Parasite that's yes, leech, like he's trying to family. benefit from their mm-hmm. shit. And their trauma. Mm-hmm. Um... And I mean, like, I do love, again, like, this movie isn't, tr- again, trying to glorify anything. It's very much presenting, even though, again, it is, like, a fictional film, it is trying to present objective truth really well, in a way. And it, that's what's so cool yeah. about this, because it's not obviously objective truth, but it is depicting the facade of objective truth really well. And it's really cool. Yeah, and um, I would say that the the shots of the the ghost, and I'm using that in kind of quotations, uh, as we'll find out very soon, but um, the the shots are not presented in a way that is meant to terrify you. Like, it's not like a jump scare. It's not like, it's just like, oh, there's someone reflected in the mirror. Because there's a lot of, like, mirror reflections of potentially Alice that, we don't see and it's presented as sort of like a little detail that could be easily missed as opposed to like a boo jump scare type thing and i think that's that's uh really restrained for found footage films in particular of this of this era that are going for that sort of like exactly like it's not it's not jump scare focus it's much very much the kind of like you have to really be looking kind of found footage thing And, and again presenting it as evidence rather than entertainment and you know, we mm-hmm. they capture a couple more images, a couple more videos, and then they quickly, as, as just kind of as soon as they've started talking about, oh, shit, there's a ghost here, they move on to the Withers and video the Withers came out. Video My favorite, came I, like, out. again, a good crossfade from, like, the dad with this dramatic thing about the Withers mm-hmm. video, which would be, like, a, would definitely again. be either a commercial break or, like, an episode cliffhanger. Yes. The end of the episode, and then the, the so then video came out. And you're like, oh. I, what the Withers video say? So then we see this other ca- this this couple who were at the the dam the dam. The that's dam right. The same kind of, time the yeah. Smeet photo was. So taken. if you remember the Smeet photo from the beginning was like, oh yeah, shit, that might be Alice. They they took a video from the same day, and they discover that in the background of their video, they did in fact capture who might have been in that image, and it is not, it is one and only Matthew, our our brother wearing alice's jacket and like you know wearing his jacket probably more like her jacket probably mourning and like trying to make sense of like where she drowned but then it's like uh uh-oh and then we kind of find out that the way that matthew has been grieving has been through um manufacturing his sister's ghost on camera Yep. So we have gone about yep. 42 minutes thinking that something paranormal was happening here. Um, and then it's kind of revealed that Matthew fabricated this whole thing. 
Yeah, and you know, the thing is, is that, like, it doesn't spend a whole lot of time, to my knowledge, sort of, like, digging into Matthew's reasons for it, but I think it's really... I think it's really sad when you think about it that this kid is seeing his family fall apart. His mom is obviously walking into other people's homes, trying to escape the hell that she sees herself in. He doesn't want to talk about it with his friend. We have the dad who is just basically, he's becoming the workaholic, the sort of figure that is going to try to ignore everything and just focus on the here and the now and the work. But he is seeing his family potentially detonating on itself. And so what does he want to do? He wants to do something to help keep the thought of Alice alive. And so he creates it. And it's very, it's very sad, but it's, it's, it's very subtle in the way that it, it portrays that because it doesn't really come out and tell you that, but there's a lot of like, I don't I know, think... environmental clues that you can see to sort of like see why yeah, he it's might like be the movie doing is subtle, this. But it's also a little bit obvious. Like if you're paying attention, like this all kind of comes together, but it doesn't say it, but it gives mm-hmm. you everything to put the pieces together. And I also have a couple of views like a couple times watching this movie continue to th- I, and every time I watch this, I think even more that Matthew actually is a little bit creepy. Um, I do think that there might be a very strange attraction to his sister yep. that is not really investigated, but like with him faking the images kind of puts this very weird, cause there's a couple shots where she's like, get out of my room, you weirdo. And like, he won't leave her alone. Mm-hmm. And it's not really brought up again, but there is like a very weird tension between the two of them. Like even it's just, we- there's something no, really unnerving about their relationship that is never really talked about, but there's that, there are some more like subtle, not even subtle, but like cues that like something was a little bit, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. And I, I kept thinking maybe that did he kill her because he was the last mm-hmm. person seen with her, you know, and she drowned. He swims back to shore. He was like, yeah, she wanted to stay out there. So and just let her but like he was the last person to be there with her alive and so like i started thinking at this point when i first saw this i was like did he kill his sister because there is creepy moments of him because him with that camera coming in her room and she's like get the fuck out of here kind of like that's it's it's you're right there is a definite creepo vibe yeah i'm like with with the way I have thought about the whole like did he kill her kind of thing, which we can talk about when we get towards the end. But like there, there is an interesting like argument that could be made about that, and I'll talk a little bit more about that at, towards the end. But yeah, like there's something very off here. But you know, all like everyone, it's kind of again and then again. What's really interesting is like you know the father says things like when people heard about it all these people came out to see it like new like people want to do interviews and stuff and we don't ever see that media circus we're just seeing that we're and that's another thing i really like about this is we're seeing the family just trying to survive and just trying to live their lives we're not thrown into the drama of the media circus we just hear about it recounted after the fact we are not right. we're not here necessarily for spectacle we're here to understand and empathize i think is maybe like more of the goal with that stuff and i think that's really interesting and how they but again it makes it feel real like of course they got all these people in their fucking house when they found when they found out that like you know this was probably if this was real it would be a huge sensation in the news and the fact that like and so it really does follow that without having to be all like Newsflash, newsflash, newsflash blaring in your face. 
Well, it keeps yes, us centered in the family exactly. as opposed to kind of going outside of the family. Well, yeah. And then they sense. start, this is where I really started thinking about motherhood in like Mungo as they talk about like June's own. Okay. June's in like difficulty, like letting go, which is like not the right word, but talking about how like she was having her own like really deep struggles with this. And then co-workers and uh, co-workers frederick frederick's so that has was talking about how they didn't have june and alice didn't really have a relationship but they were also very similar and then june's mother says i withheld things from my daughter and i think that she withheld things from alice and this whole sequence is kind of trying to look a little bit into june's mental state and look at how she is processing grief as a mom. And I know that like we see motherhood all the time and they talk about it a lot in horror. But I think this one's a really interesting kind of navigation because it's not just, it's like we're having other people like friends and family, like observing and sharing their observations, not just us like making our own kind of assumptions, but actually getting like third party observations about her, which is so like, again, we don't get that in horror a lot. No, we even get like that the the quote. This was like the end of hope for all of us, but especially for June. She wasn't ready to let Allie go. She just needed to hang on to her a bit longer, and so she was devastated. So we get that quote, and then we find out that June kept herself, and it became clear that was happening to Alice too. So like Alice was keeping to herself, June keeps to herself, and then we find out that Iris, June's mom, like you were talking about, um. talks about how she couldn't give herself wholly to June and she thinks that June couldn't give herself wholly to Alice. And so it's like this three generations of matriarchs in this family that aren't able to connect with their daughters. Cause we don't hear about that about Matthew. We don't hear about any other siblings. We just hear about the relationship with, with their daughter. And it's such a, again, another throwaway line another throwaway moment in this movie but it feels like it has so much more intent behind it i'm thinking i'm just kind of thinking about this now and that like she says you know as she got older especially june was withholding something from alice and that that kind of feels like an internalized misogyny kind of thing of like as your daughters like get Mm -hmm. older like don't give yourself like emotionally over and creating this weird like dynamic between women and i think this movie again does that really subtly but also has June realizing like what she did and regretting it because she didn't have time. Like she wasn't given the luxury of time to like work through her own feelings and fix things with her daughter. She just has to reflect and regret. And that's so Mm -hmm. difficult. Like it's so traumatic traumatic. and like, you know, she says things like, I hope she knows I loved her. And like, you can just infer from those like that relationship that she probably didn't say I love you very much to her daughter, like verbally say I love you. They probably fought a lot. Like, you know, realizing, yeah, it's a teenage, like a you know, mom teenager relationship, but like, what are, how that, but that actually could have been, you know, broken. Like it is an intergenerational trauma thing that could have been broken, but wasn't. And now it's kind of like, how the fuck do you move on from that? And I think... You yeah. can't, and it, it leaves a, an emptiness because it's like she's not she's unable to get that sort of like you could have like I have a feeling that after this, if this were real life, Iris and June would probably have like a reconciliation of, of sorts, and it would just be like 
this this moment of not wanting to lose your daughter because you're starting to realize how short life is. But June doesn't get that. June doesn't get that opportunity. It is taken exactly. from her. And that's it's so sad. And I was I was when I was watching it, this was the part that kind of I think hit me the most because like I have a very rocky relationship with my parents, but it's like you see this and you see the sort of like things that are left unsaid when you're unable to say it anymore because of whatever happening, like in this case of death. And it's just, it really adds to that kind of, I don't know, fucked up trauma. (laughs) Well, guess what more fucked up trauma we get after this. Oh man, this shit gets fucking nuts. I mean, and okay. So Matthew was gone with Ray on like a journey, whatever, like a trip, weird, whatever. Um, they leave the cameras up just in case. Okay. Uh, well, they capture a little something, something on the camera, but it ain't no fucking ghost. It's their goddamn... No, they do they capture... Oh, no, it's just a neighbor. This was oh, going sorry, back going to the old footage. footage. Shit, the right. footage of Apologies. the shadow. They go through old footage, and they see something, and it ain't a ghost. It's their old... It sure as fuck isn't. It is creepy neighbor Brett Tui sitting in Alice's room six so months after her death. What happens what here is fuck? another fucking reveal and a reveal that is very much rooted in horror and horrors of reality. Um, there was a creepy man and they see him in the corner and they're like, why the fuck <laughs> is he there? And what they um, what they discover is um harrowing that basically alice who babysat for her neighbors next door was in a was was filmed having sex with both um the husband and wife neighbors and uh it's captured on tape and she has it hidden in in her safe and she has a journal and um, she has this like evidence locked away, a secret that she never, ever told anybody. And they basically reveal that they don't, again, they don't talk to the neighbors, so we don't know the details. They just know that they had sex. And it was obviously, regardless of whether or not it was she consented, it was still rape because she's a minor. Like, still fucking ridiculous mm-hmm. and fucked up. But basically, they start seeing, oh... Alice had secrets and Alice is was hiding things. So who was Alice? And I think at this point there is this moment of it potentially falling into after school special. Like was this girl sleeping around with adult men? Like, you know, like it could have very easily fallen into the whole, like she was a loose woman and her parents didn't pay attention to what she was doing. Mm -hmm. And she was like, going out there and all this stuff but it's never presented that way at all really it's more just like she was babysitting Mm -hmm. for them and she was probably taken advantage of and she so matter-of-factly hit it though and this is starting to then you know they say at one point like this is the reason why things bad things happen she was so withdrawn because she had the secret like she couldn't talk to us because of this horrible secret that she had and they're like, you know, reflecting on the fact, like why this guy was looking for the tape so he could protect himself and all this stuff. And so now we're again, kind of falling into the whole, like, Oh God, did Alice maybe drown herself because she had this like deep traumatic Mm -hmm. thing happen to her that she couldn't share with anybody else. And they fucking film the sex tape, by the way, like they show it. 
like nothing crazy Mm -hmm. but they again once again showing like the lengths they're going to to make this feel real is they do have like this fucked up sex tape like actual footage that to splice in with the movie which again makes it feel real makes it feel like this right girl went through this and what is happening is like her recorded Mm -hmm. trauma for real yeah, and it's filmed so, filmed so very matter-of-factly, and I think that's what adds to the 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 overall feel of this movie is that everything is just presented almost like detached. Again, yeah, exactly. Detachedly. Like this is footage. This is footage. This is footage. It's not like trying to be salacious. It's not trying to terrify you. It's not trying to do that. It's just presenting you with evidence. I will say to briefly kind of move away from this very briefly just as an aside this is where the movie even now kind of loses me a oh bit. interesting okay i'm going to be honest and it's 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 because of we have all of these these photographs we have all this footage that is obviously being poured over by a lot of people right and it took them how long to realize that there was someone sitting in that room like for us this is the viewer it's just a passing over. We're focused on that shadow. But if you are, if you are that family and you are so focused on it, you don't see that image. And so I, there's a couple times later on in this where like we, we see a little bit more photographs of like things where maybe there is an actual ghost in there. And I'm like, how did you not see that before? If you're pouring over all of this footage, how did you, how did you miss this? So that is going to be the, my, my one big complaint about this is that it's not exactly hidden. We're yeah. not seeing it because we're so focused on the spooky thing. But if we, if if I had that footage, you better believe I'm pouring over every single scrap of it, and I would have seen that person sitting in that chair a whole lot sooner. So than my small counterpoint, it. because I'm, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not. I swear <laughs> to God, I'm not trying to be argumentative because I totally get that. I I do no. think that in the footage that they saw Alice. I think that they thought Alice was in that footage. And so they thought that she was in one spot. And I don't think that they maybe were focusing again. That's also me just being like, but there's no, I also, I also, I thought about this later with like that, like, (laughs) well, and and I, and maybe not this necessarily this moment, but like once we get to the end credits where it's like showing the foot, like the photographs and we have like, not to like jump ahead a little too hard, but we have a photo, the photo that has been doctored by Matthew where the, where Alice is standing in the backyard. And then over on the right hand side is the real Alice potentially sitting down. I'm like, did you not see this? <laughs> it's going to be my, my only, <laughs> no, <laughs> my only part that this movie kind of falls apart a little bit for me is that when you have these little small details, and you have characters that are pouring over them because they yeah. want to have some kind of idea that maybe either A, Alice is alive, or B, that Alice is still with them. You're going to yeah. see these little moments. No, that's true. Exactly. Just... That's fair. Fine. <laughs> but it's just a, it's a small little, <laughs> a small little piquant of a, of a critique for a movie that, again... I have fallen in love with a lot more on this watch. But then we get the other, another fucking twisteroni where we find out that um, Alice had seen <laughs> Ray. Alice got his business card and reached out to him to talk about mm. her nightmares and what she has been seeing and experiencing. 
specifically like can you help me interpret my nightmare and what the fuck is going on and it's after they find her her diary her basically her planner her mom sees that and is like what the fuck and ray had never disclosed that he had met with alice i and i don't believe his thing about wasn't well, a case of hiding something yeah, what the fuck? He's a HIPAA. this ain't hipaa my, my brother like he you don't dead. have you don't have a code she of dead. conduct like <laughs> what is wrong with you their daughter is dead, and you are not letting them know. I mean, I can understand maybe not showing the tapes to them immediately, but, like, you didn't let them know, hey, by the way, this is really weird. Your daughter came to me, like, a year ago? Like, what the fuck, me a man? year ago, and uh, just, like, feels like she's not in her body anymore, and is, like, having, like, very weird potential, like, hmm, premonitions in her dreams? Um, and I think this point here is when I started kind of putting together like wait a second something weird is happening but nothing that had been presented to us before this is something that's like deeply weird like it's not just a case of ghost Mm -hmm. it's like cosmic-y weird interdimensional question mark I've also seen this movie a million times and have theories about that but like there is something weird happening here that we cannot conceptualize and that no matter how much that they have tried to conceptualize it in this movie it's not comprehensible and that's our that's being kind of established as soon as we realized she was going to ray she was having these dreams of walking through her parents house um and Mm -hmm. yeah we she talks about standing Mm -hmm. at the foot of their bed and the the movie shows the footage that we had seen earlier of an apparition standing by the, the bed of the parents. And so we have this like hint here that, as you said, something cosmic time, time dilution, something is going on. Something is either like projecting into the future to try to prevent something, or there is something from the, the future coming to the past, or there's like all of these, it's like a, a time dilution paradox here that and she says like she feels feels wet and heavy and when she wakes up she, mm-hmm. that feeling doesn't go away and she needs to find her mom but then when she sees her mom she, she's writing it in her diary and like her mom has found her diary and is talking and it's seven months before seven months before she died and she's already yeah, having these things of like i'm alone there's nothing i can do to stop whatever is coming to me like she was basically predicting and seeing her own death but not really knowing it like she knew it but didn't like she knew that something was wrong Mm -hmm. something very bad is happening and there's nothing anyone can do but i she cannot like conceptualize and like like verbalize and understand how she is feeling she's fucking seeing herself dead and Uh and feeling dead like she feels dead dead. (laughs) she thinks she like it's and she again, she's writing about these things. So when all like people wanting to attribute this and that to like her behavior, it's like they don't even know what's going on in this girl's head. Like you think she's keeping secrets? Like you have no idea the secret that this fucking child is think is is keeping from you. It's not right. And there's a it sense... almost like oh, the sorry. neighbor stuff just kind of falls to the wayside because you're like it's incidental like it's incidental yeah that happened but it's not related to what the fuck is going on here like ain't that fucked up like see people have a lot of things they go through that you don't know about even as kids and like that 
what seemed important has like kind of gone away and been like wait hold on like what the fuck well there's a sense of fatalism to it too because she says she wrote in her journey realized there was nothing they could do for me and it's like that that moment of understanding of and it, it goes back to um the initial line that opened up this movie where something bad has happened, it just hasn't reached me yet. That kind of like idea that there is something coming. I don't know what it is. It's going to be horrible, but there's nothing I can do about it. And sadly, at this point, there's nothing that her family could do. And that's it's so it's so fucking sad and tragic. Well, and I think that so that further continue like that. I think the ending says that a lot. But before we get to the ending, we get. We see phone footage of when she goes to Lake Mungo. Lake Mungo finally comes into so the she picture. she and her friends go to Lake Mungo. And the parents are, are shown this lake. So at the trip, Alice had lost her phone. And so, but um, she, her parents get footage from friends of that night. And they're kind of like, something hap- must have happened to her at Lake Mungo. Something looks wrong. And at one point... There's footage of what looks like Alice, like, sitting by herself in, like, a ditch. And so they thought, they were like, oh, well, it looks like she's burying something. Again, this moment is super unclear. And I'm like, I'll trust you that that's what's happening there. Because, again, it's very much, like, dark, grainy 2006 cell phone footage. So, like, not right. iPhone not footage. Not iPhone footage. Not this crystal no. 4K, 60 frames per second 120 frames per second type shit that we have now. No, this is like this is pre like the fucking, fucking like, iPhone videos. Sasquatch photos. So they like they a basically see this image of what looks like her under a tree and they're like, oh, she's burying something. And I'm looking at it like, sure, fam. Um, so like again, you know, I love this movie. It's just funny when like, yeah, it was happening. I'm like, you know, 2006, sure. So I'll go with it. I'll so go they with basically it. decide, oh shit, okay, we're gonna go find the phone. If she buried something there, I wonder if it's the phone, whatever. So, you know, again, Alice is lying to her friends, nothing happened, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, once again, the parents are kind of taking, again, evidence that they're presented and going to figure out what it was. So they go to Lake Mungo, they find the tree, they dig up the shit. I did love, by the way, that, you know, they go there, it's daytime, and they're like, there's going to be tourists around. Maybe we should go at night. And I'm like, okay. I get that, but also this is like, okay, this is horror movie 101. You don't go to a place where something traumatic happened, where someone buried something in the dark of the night with your little flashlights. No, you do that in the sun. Tourists be fucking damned. (laughs) I just loved it. I was like, are you kidding me? We're going to wait till Mm -hmm. night. (laughs) Duh. But so, of course, they wait until nighttime, you know, normal. And then they find... In a plastic yeah. bag, buried, was what her dad calls her most precious things. Like, she has her favorite necklace. She has a cell phone, her cell phone in there. Buried, the yep, ring, buried a bunch of stuff. And so they charge, they, you know, of course they go home, plug the phone in to see what was what. And what they, fu- fu- this fucking shit will haunt me forever. Ugh. Her own, oh, I have it playing right now just so I can, like, have the, vi- like, the visual. And it's just, like, ugh. It's her cell phone footage. Her walking, it's a lot, it's it's dark out, and you just see, like, the sand, and it's kind of just like, all right, cool, another found footage movie, and then she lifts up her phone, and she sees something on the horizon, 
And what is intercut with this is Ray asking, are you scared of dying? And her saying, isn't everyone scared of dying? And like that conversation is happening as she is walking, as she's filming. And what is she sees is her fucking self. And not just herself. It's her face after she has drowned. The photo that we have seen of her face, that is the image that she is capturing. Her fucking drowned ass body ghost fucking whatever is lurking in Lake Mungo. And she, I can't tell if she's walking toward it or it's coming towards her or they're kind of meeting each other in the middle. But her ghost premonition body gets in her face. You know, it reminds me of... Yeah, when it like takes your camera and you're like... like, the ghost. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. That's what it reminds me of. It's like that, that moment of like just getting in your face like no you might up until this point have have believed that none of this is is supernatural but there is a fucking premonition on camera coming at you and it is absolutely terrifying and it's like i can't imagine no, can you I imagine would shit my, like, just going to camp year old, like a 16 year old girl going to camp with her friends and is like but also <laughs> Has, like, for almost a year been having nightmares about her own fucking rotting body. And she goes and then she sees that and she's like, well, it's over. Like, I guess this is it. Like, my dead body is coming to find me in places. Like, what the fuck? That is so scary. And that is what is so scary about this movie. And I think if you're... If you are willing to give yourself over to this movie and you kind of like come to the conclusion with this movie about what was happening to Alice, like it wasn't just some ghost stuff. It wasn't just the creepy neighbor. Like there was something bizarre happening to this girl and there's no fucking reason why it was happening. Like she was just like chosen as this weird cosmic and stuck in some weird, I don't know, cosmic thing. And again, like, we can only kind of inference this, but it does feel very kind of cosmic horror interdimensional horror because, again, she's having these dreams. Time seems to be diluting and expanding and becoming one and, like, slapping together. And, again, and at the end, especially when we hear June and Alice, their, their interviews with Ray overlapping with each other as as um, June is, like, they're moving out of the house. Like, it all kind of comes together in this weird thing of, like, wait, like, these, this was predetermined. There was no avoiding this. So, like, even if Matthew did kill her, she was going to die no matter what. And I do think, in rewatching it, oh, some of these videos of Matthew being weird aren't timestamped, like, or her reactions to Matthew aren't timestamped, so I don't know if maybe she had her own feelings that he was somehow related and he was trying to distance him, herself from him. But I don't, I don't think, I would, I would think that if, just because this movie is so smart, I think if the movie wanted us to think that, it maybe would have driven that home a little bit more, maybe? I don't know. But yeah. regardless, like, she was gonna die no matter what. I am curious. Why do you think she hit her phone? I think. Do you have any thoughts on that? They called it like a ritual, but I think my, my thought was that my initial thought seeing this was like, it scared her so much and what she captured that she wanted to bury it. So she wouldn't ever have to see it again. And it'd be hidden away. But then she buries it with like 
a necklace and stuff. So it's not just her phone and it becomes like almost a symbolic thing. And maybe it's like she, she captured that image. She kind of is like, it's almost her closure. So she takes all of the things like that are symbolic to her. Plus that kind of actual documentation and maybe like buries it as like an act of closure for herself. But also maybe I think they talk about it a little bit, like, it maybe was something that she left for her parents to find, to, like, maybe finally understand what happened, and, like, I don't know. and Or maybe she's just a 16-year-old and is, like, not sure what is fully going on, but I don't know. I don't think I have, like, a full answer. Do you have one? Tell me. Oh, I was like, no, tell me. Or what are your thoughts about it? No, I I was... I, I really I have no thoughts on this. I other than the idea that maybe it was like you capture something and you're like, I don't want to think that this is a thing. And so I'm going to bury it but the and other thing ignore I just... it. Is <laughs> like the only thing I could think of. But, but I'm like, so why would you hide it with then, anything else? I guess my thought that just came to me is like maybe giving those precious things is like a sacrifice she thought of. Like if I give it my most beautiful, mm. precious things that I love that like a sixteen year like that a sixteen year old thinks is love, it will take that. And that will suffice as, like, yeah. a sacrifice, an offering. An offering. Um, that could mm. also be part of it. Like, an offering to something to hopefully, like, to feed it or get it away from her. And then the phones just be like, I don't ever want mm. anyone to see this ever again. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, I honestly, I can't imagine coming face to face your own goddamn ghost <laughs> yeah your dead body like like i don't i don't know how i would react to that i probably if i was filming that i probably would have just thrown my phone away i'd be like well nope. nope we're done we're going to ignore that this night i would also happened. just be like all right cool i'm just gonna like cease to exist like i'm just gonna like explode into a puff of smoke and just it's it's that parrot from that I've mentioned a couple times from that Monty Python thing. That parrot is no more. It has ceased to be. That would be me. I would just cease to be. Exactly. And so they find this, and then it's kind of like, oh, something weird happened. And they, yeah. Well, even Matthew says, I think she recorded the yeah. future coming to get her. And like the dad was like, I think she saw a ghost, whatever Cosmic. that means. Like, they seemed that they kind of seem to realize they're not going to fully understand what's happening. It's time to move on. And they start to, they start talking about how they're, they, they are, they move, they're moving from their house to somewhere new to get a fresh start. Cause they're starting to put the pieces back together in their family. They're starting to finally heal and it's time to kind of like fresh start it. And this is where they start again, playing, um, Alice and June's interviews with Ray over each other, and oh, it's it's so good. It's just like oh, best ending of a horror movie ever, because it's her final. It's June's final consultation, and it kind of put it kind of brings everything together in a really fucking sad way in terms of like how these things were intertwined, and there was nothing anyone could have kind of done to unravel that. Yeah. So there's like. This like made me really sad on this on this watch for two reasons. One is this idea of fatalism and fate and the idea of like future 
and the past and the present all mingling together in some weird cosmic mumbo jumbo. But then also one of the things that you kind of touched on, Mary Beth, this entire episode is this, the, the idea of motherhood and everyone being and failing each other. And here we have two conversations that are just barely missing each other. They're missing each other in time because this happened with with um, Alice back with Ray. And then in the future, like they're missing each other with time, but they're also missing each other with intent. And it goes back into the same issues that it plagued the mother, the mother and daughters of this family, at least three generations of people not talking to each other or passing each other in conversation. And so we have we have June's conversation and then we have Alice's conversation and they are just missing each other. They're both sides of the same equation, but both of them are missing the other side of that conversation, just like is happening with June and with June and Alice and also with Iris and June. It's such a, a masterful, but again, subtle, they don't bring your attention to it. It's just, it's just this moment that like builds once you start to like close read what is happening in this movie. And it's sad. Because I, again, it's like Alice says that she's watching her mom, but her mom doesn't know that she's there. And it's kind of like, and then Alice, like, they, again, they don't, they're not pursuing each other in the same time or same time in the same space. And I think what hits really hard with this ending to me is that, like, the family does kind of get closure a little bit, but Alice is kind of stuck. Because I think... With this final shot, we see them right. in front of the house and there's Alice in the window. Um, it's like, you know, I, I, I see the image, like the last image of this family in front of the house before they leave. And Alice is in the house. So they're outside, but she's, she's stuck. Right. And like. Well, and even, even before we get to that, we have Alice saying she's gone. She's going mm-hmm. now. She's leaving the room. And that's interspersed with June leaving like the house up, for she, the last time. And everyone's packing up and leaving, and then it, she's gone as as June leaves, and so it's like this realization that they're leaving. But as you were just saying, like Alice she, is still stuck. There. Alice knew that she was going to be left behind, basically, and it it's in a really interesting way of to look at grief, an interesting like perspective on grief that you don't see a lot because you see people like okay, like healing and moving on, like you know, very reductive terms here, but like healing, moving on, kind of like fresh starting. And but like, what happens to the dead? Like, what happens to the dead? And yeah, I, right. like again, this is a horror movie, but it's like it is kind of showing the perspective of like, what happens when you move on? But perhaps like the dead person doesn't. And as now we get, I mean, the next the sequel is Alice terrorizing a family that moves into the house after them. Um, joke, obviously, but like, we see this, and you like. You can't begrudge this family for moving on. Like, this family has gone through so much shit. And there's no... no. I, I, I say, like, moving on and not, like, in a bad way. And more like a... They they did a lot of shit. And, like, they did stay together through Matthew <laughs> lying about everything and a crazy psychic and the, their daughter. Like, all this stuff. And they're still together as a family and they're able to move on. But Alice is still stuck. She is kind of trapped in this cosmic trap. And... Like, who knows what other version of herself she's going to appear to. Like, she is kind of, it's it reminds me a little bit of The Long Walk, a little bit. Like, trapped in this form forever and, like, trying to help, maybe, but also, like, stuck and is kind of in a cycle. 
And again, that's reaching a little bit, but I, again, that final image I think does kind of show like they have moved on and it's really awesome, but then she is, uh, she might be trapped and she's alone. Like she's right. alone. And, and she's alone. Absolutely alone. And she can't do anything about it. She and just has to watch back... and silently observe yeah. as like the things that she knows well, life it, passes it, by. Like, like as things like life passes by, and then everything that she knows and is familiar with goes, like leaves her, leave her, and then she's is just stuck. <sighs> anyway, well, and it goes back to the the line from the very opening of this movie where they're talking about how people make up stories about ghosts or whatever to make themselves feel better, and for about. I would say 65, 70% of this movie, I feel like that is what's happening here. We have Matthew trying to hold on to the past. We have people trying to believe that there is a ghost happening that might make them feel better, that there is like an afterlife or that there is something out there. And by the end of this movie, they have rejected that, that idea. They're like, no, there is no, there is no stopping it. This is, we're just going to move on with our lives. But it kind of subverts that expectation of that because no, the ghost is still there. It's not making you feel better. It's not making the ghost feel better. The ghost is going to linger here and watch as her family basically abandons her. And it's so the the shot of them outside the house and Alice is in the window looking out at them. She is separated from them both physically, but also kind of supernaturally. And she is just forced to watch as her family is going to leave her. And it's so it's like that added little bit of a gut punch of an ending. <laughs> Followed up with a bunch of like footage of of the movie where we see something, but then the ghost yeah. is lingering off to the side and actually It's like you weren't looking for the right things kind of situation. Like Yeah. Which again, I know what you mean where it's like how did your ass not see that before? I mean, because in particular, in particular, the one where Matthew had superimposed Alice in it. If you are taking the time to superimpose Alice in the backyard and you don't notice that off to the right is actually Alice. Like, come on. Come on. <laughs> that, <laughs> that is it. But other than that, I think that I think that the way this movie ends is is just a brilliant idea of like you are seeing one side of the story, but you're not seeing all of it. And so these little bits of images as imperfect in a realistic setting as I think they are kind of plays into that idea of you're looking for one thing and completely missing what's actually happening. It's Which a perfect movie, movie. I love so much. <laughs> I'm so glad that we talked about it though. I'm so glad it you watched really it fun. and that we could do a long ass episode on it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Well, everybody, too. um thanks so much for listening to uh me nerd out about Lake Mungo and also Terry. Terry got to nerd out about Lake Mungo <laughs> with me. Um this was really awesome. I did. And I I'm so I've never been able to talk about it this movie it's so in depth before, so I love it even more now that I've been able to like really talk about it. Um so but everyone Give us your feedback. What age do you think of Lake Mungo? I know that a few of you have some had experience, have had some experience with Lake Mungo. So let us know. You can let us know on the comment section of this Patreon post. 
You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com uh, or you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at MV McAndrews. Um, and, and of course, trifle. you know the drill. You probably follow the podcast. Follow them at Scarred Podcast. Exactly. Yeah, if you don't, why not? Uh, but if you could make sure you are subscribed, as I'm sure you're doing. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating or review. Um, join our Discord server. We have a Discord um, that we're kind of playing around with. And yeah, continue supporting us on Patreon. And we're going to, we have like the next movie that we're going to talk about um, already decided. But after that, we would love some inputs. What do you? What would you like us to talk about? Is there a specific movie that you would like us to do kind of this deep dive into? Yeah, Let things us that know. scared you. Um, I know that Terry and I have a list, but we want to hear about what films also terrified y'all, um, especially as adults, like specifically like recent releases in the last mm-hmm. 10 or so years that have really traumatized you as an adult. We'd love to hear it. Um Thank you to Eric Parr for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you to all of our lovely patrons for listening to this episode. Uh, stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.